start, uh, I, I got some good news and I got some bad news. You know, um, uh, the good news is uh, Spokane, we are number one in the nation of 200 cities, the largest 200 cities in this country. We are number one. That's the good news. The bad and awful news is that we are number one when it comes to divorce. Krem News just put out on February 1st that out of the top 200, you know, United States uh, cities that Spokane is number one, where 16% of the adult population has experienced in a divorce. And so it reminds me of the importance of why we need to study and talk about what we're going to talk about today, as well as make me think and process through what are some things that we need to do in the future. Now, this is going to sound a little funny, but we want to answer this question How can I stay in love while still being married? Okay? How can I stay in love while still being married? Now, if you've been divorced, I just want to tell you, we are glad that you're here, and we want to look to how we can avoid this in your life in the future. If you're a teen or you're currently single, as we talked about last week, uh, while you're going through dating, this is going to give you a picture, an idea of the foundation of what you're looking for in the future. Now, if you're currently married, I hope to walk you through some very practical, biblical examples of what it looks like to stay in love while being married. And here's the truth. Falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. All right? Falling in love requires a pulse, but staying in love. In other words, it's not going to just happen by accident. Those of you who've been married more than five minutes knows that it takes work. It actually takes intentionality to make this thing work really, really well. And I don't want you just to survive your marriage. Some of you are in the state of being where you're almost like more like roommates than you are actually partners in, in, in life and in love. And, and so I want to let you know that those of you who might be new, I'm speaking from a Judeo-Christian understanding. And, and, and if you're not that, you just need to know that that's the filter we're coming in from. If you are already a follower of Christ, I want you to understand not, none of this is going to be brand new to you, especially if you've been new to the church. The question is not, is it new to you? The question is, are you applying it in your life? Because you'll see the fruit of it if you do so. And so with that, here are four ways to stay in love while still being married. Number one, you have to build a strong foundation. You got to build a strong foundation. Now, you know this to be true in your home. It can look really good on the outside. You can have granite, everything on the inside, high-end floors, great TVs, couches. But if you don't have a solid foundation over time, it will crumble within. It'll crumble within. So it may look good, but if you don't have the foundation, Matthew 7, Jesus tells us this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it'll collapse with a mighty crash. What Jesus is saying clearly is the foundation of your lives as well as your marriage has to be him, has to be him. And as you focus on Christ, you will grow in love 
with one another. And so as it pertains in marriage, you can see we have this example of God's triangle of love. The way that he designed it, and it's going to sound funny, is you need to focus, husband, on God. Wife, you need to focus on God. And and I mentioned this last week, but I want to remind you that you actually want to love God more than you love your spouse. You actually want to have a deeper connection. And although that sounds like it's misplaced priorities, understand this. When you're in a deep abiding connection with Christ, he's the one that fills what you're trying to fill inside and gives you the perspective and ability to love this imperfect individual you've married. You do realize you've married an imperfect individual, haven't you? You know, if not, you'll discover that pretty quickly. You must be a newlywed. Um, And here's the thing. As you grow closer to God, notice the distance between the husband and wife. The deeper you grow in abundance with him, the more you're going to grow in relationship with, 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 with one another. And so here are some practical ways that you can help to make Jesus be the foundation. One is prayer. Now, I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes. The second is spending daily time with God through his word. We mentioned this over and over and over. This isn't new. The question is, are you spending time with him? And again, if you don't know what to do, we at our connection table, we, we attended out at the beginning of the year these Bible reading plans that you could do it by yourself or you could do with your spouse. Uh, another one is to commit making worship services a priority. I can't tell you how often in the summertime when people are not able to come to services on the weekend, they choose not to go on Thursday, and then three months later, our counseling intake goes up tremendously because we've taken a break from this habit that helps our marriage and helps our family. Uh, The next I would say is commit to a small group, either together or individually, whether it be a men's group, a women's group, or a small group. Next is find a place to serve. It's amazing when you serve together what takes place in your marriage. The question is, is Jesus a priority? Now, speaking of priorities, a a recent survey was done about millennials, this, this upcoming generation, about priorities. And in it, it had a graph about the most important things in their lives. What is the most important priority that they want to see happen? Notice the first two. Number one, being a good parent. Man, that sounds pretty good. Number two would be having a successful marriage. The only problem with that is that millennials are growing up having a child-centric family. If you have that understanding, it will actually erode the marriage over time. The third highest divorce rate in people's lives is after the kids graduate and leave the home. When that happens, couples who are child-centric look at each other and be like, I don't know you, and I don't even like you, because your entire world was built around those kids. And so we want to try to help flip that, that you're actually marriage is first, even above the child-wearing. And a healthier marriage is going to make for a healthier child anyway. Uh, Notice as you go down the list, owning a home, helping others in need, living a very religious life, that unfortunately God is fifth in the foundation level in terms of priorities. So I can just tell you that if you want to be, if you are a Christian, you have to have a foundation that's built on the way that God intended. And so we've got to know and live the primary united purpose for our marriage. You do realize that our culture, the things that we're talking about, our culture will never speak about. Our culture emphasizes the wedding day. They don't emphasize the marriage at all. You won't see shows about how to improve your marriage nearly as much as we see shows about the wedding day, the dresses, the events, the coordination, all that kind of stuff. That's what seems to be uplifted. And so people are buying into the fact that this is the most important thing. And it's not. 
The marriage is most important. The wedding is like, but the marriage is the rest of your lifetime. Ephesians 5, 31 to 32 says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. See, God created marriage for us to enjoy and to encounter. Marriage does not make us whole. Okay, A lot of times people, I'm only a full person when I'm married. That's not true. Otherwise, Jesus would never have been a full person. Neither is the Apostle Paul or many other people who've chosen not to be married in history. And in fact, that's one of the mistakes we make. We think the other person will complete me. And you'll be, you'll be let down in your life if you think an imperfect person is there solely to try to complete something that only God can fill in your life. But what God says is that the purpose of marriage is to honor him by reflecting Jesus in your love for one another. That's the purpose of marriage. And for it to be successful, it's going to require sacrifice and mutual submission. Now, you know, one of the coolest projects that you can do as a husband and wife is to develop a vision statement or a purpose statement for your marriage. In fact, we have a class here called Chosen to Lead that's designed for guys in our church to walk through a 16-week course on what it means to be a man, a father, and a husband. During that process, you get to develop a vision statement with your spouse. In fact, today is graduation day. There's 20 guys who've gone through this program, you know, who are graduating today and have put that time in and have developed something like this. And so the next one that we have is this fall. So keep an eye out for it as well. As well. And one last thing that I would say is commit to never getting divorced. You have to have that mindset when you go into marriage as part of the foundation. Commit to never saying the word divorce or threatening it. Don't even mention it. Because once it's spoken, it can get it some power and some, some steam going, which we would hate to see take place in your life. And so just, just tell yourself, no matter what happens, the ups and downs, we're going to try to work through this the best that we possibly can. In fact, this last week, I sat down with my wife and I asked her, hey, I know we've never, we've told each other, we're never going to say the word divorce and we're never going to divorce. But I, I was just wondering, in light of this message, have you ever thought, you know, about divorcing me? Has that ever come to your mind? And she just smiled, she shook her head, she says, no. I thought about killing you many times, though. I was like, wait a minute, that's, that's murder, you know, that's... That's, that's, not, that's not better. You know, I, I don't know. We had to talk through that. And so let me ask you this question. Uh, in what ways would we or others know that your marriage is about Christ and, and his kingdom? That's a litmus test. In what ways does that prove the foundation that we or others knows? That, and so that's to be something that you and your spouse can maybe talk through. Again, anyone with a pulse can fall in love, but to make it last is going to require a plan. So first, build a strong foundation centered on Jesus. Okay. Now second... Proverbs 6.32 says, The man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. Now, this is a warning verse. Yes, it destroys others as well. We all know that. But it starts from within. With, from within. So to continue love in your marriage or future marriage, it leads to the second one. Establish boundaries. Establish boundaries so that that doesn't happen in your life. Show me a healthy relationship, and I will show you the boundaries they keep it healthy. In fact, Romans 13, 14 says this. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So how do we protect ourselves from adultery or potentially divorce from happening? Proverbs 4, 32 reminds us again, 
Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Uh, So let's get practical for a second. Men, let me tell you some things that I do that try to help protect and create boundaries for our marriage. You will never find me meeting with the opposite sex alone outside of this building. In fact, if I meet with the opposite sex, it'll be in my office, and if the door needs to be shut, it's always gonna be with people around and there's a window. I will never ride in the car with, the, with someone of the opposite sex, you know, unless it's my spouse or relative or daughter, of course. Uh, I, I'll never meet somebody for coffee, even though it's a public place. Now, some of you might say, well, Dan, you know, that sounds like an extreme. Well, it may sound like an extreme, but let me give you two main reasons for it. Number one, in this day and age, all it takes is an accusation. All it takes is an he said, she said, and it's going to put pressure on my marriage. It's going to hurt the ministry, and it may hurt this church. And so I'm not going to allow that to happen. Second, guys, my wife loves this. She absolutely loves this. It helps her give more confidence and security. And so sometimes some of those extremes can help enhance and strengthen the marriage when it comes to boundaries. Ladies, let me just warn you on this in terms of boundaries. Be careful who you emotionally connect with other than your spouse. Affairs rarely ever start in a day. Usually it's a coworker, neighbor, friend, or the number one growing area that leads to adultery is social media, where you're seeing nowadays where just a little, hey, how you doing? Oh, it's good to connect with you again. And one thing leads to another. Here's ladies where you're most susceptible. When you're not getting the emotional connection from home and you feel this void, it's so easy to share whatever it is emotionally that you're feeling from your heart to a coworker. And when you find that coworker or friend or neighbor who finally is a guy who is listening, who is paying attention, who seems to care more than your husband, you've now opened up your heart for the possibility of an emotional affair, usually what happens first, that could lead to a full-blown affair. Now, the first thing we understand is that we've got to build boundaries. And these are just a couple, and there's many, many others that we don't have time to go into. There's no way I can cover this in 30 minutes or less. There's other boundaries that you need to have in your, in your marriage. One other one I'm going to mention now is the one pornography. Pornography is destroying both men and women now in their marriages at a higher clip than ever before. But we're going to talk way more about that two weeks from now. So first, build a firm foundation on Christ. Second, create boundaries that will protect your marriage. Third, be willing to ask for forgiveness and to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 reminds us, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ through God, I mean, God through Christ has forgiven you. Now to ask for forgiveness is where it starts. It's human nature for us to justify, rationalize, and explain why we're in the right. Uh, Let me tell you what I realized early on in my marriage is I'm pretty quick at responding when I feel like I am justified in whatever it is that I'm justified about. So when my wife and I would get into an argument or in Christian terms, into intense moments of fellowship, uh, we would have this engagement and then we'd get into a fight and, and she would look for me to apologize. No, it wasn't about apologizing anymore. It was about winning. It was about winning the argument. 
because my pride, you know, has gone up. My heels dug in, not that any of your heels ever do this. And I said, no, it's not about winning more. And more often than not, I would win the argument, but it would hurt my marriage. It didn't take me too long to realize that that wasn't the best recipe for success. And so what I've got to do is do something that's unnatural for us, especially in those moments. But when you cool down, can you learn these phrases? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And I love you. Now for us, I love you is such an important last statement. Because in my family, when Carolina, and I didn't know why this was happening, but early on when we would get into these fights, uh, I would tell her things like, I need to go away for just a second. And I would try to go to the bedroom because I knew I was about to say things that I was really going to regret later. And so I would say, give me a second. The problem is she would follow me into the bedroom. And then I'd try to go to the garage. She'd follow me right into the garage. And she says, no, we have to work this out. I'm like, we're going to work this out, but it's not going to be good right now. And so I'm like, why do you keep doing that? We don't know. So in some of our counseling together, what I found out was that Carolina's dad walked out on her mom when she was nine years old. And the last thing that she remembers is that last fight that they had. And so for her, the last, the thing that, that triggered her is when we got in fights, her fear would be, is this the fight that's going to lead to him leaving me? Just like my dad left my mom. And so once she was able to verbalize that, we were able to have this dialogue and to say, "Hun, I need five minutes or I need 10 minutes. And she needed something specific, a time frame. You know, not that I'll come back at you later because that didn't help anything because it's later a day, it's later a week, it's later a month. And so we'd have this dialogue together, which helped her feel so secure in our relationship. Now, the other side is to actually forgive. You do realize that nothing erodes a marriage faster than when we hold on to and, and throw it in each other's faces. See, even when you and I are justified or hurt in our anger, you and I have to remember that Jesus has forgiven us, which is what that verse talks about. So it doesn't give us, if you're a follower of Christ, any right to hold on to a lack of forgiveness towards those around us, especially our spouse. Uh, it's almost like you know, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die when we, when we choose not to forgive. We're holding it on, but it's hurting us more than anybody else. Uh, and this is usually where people ask, well, how do you do that when a husband or wife has cheated on me or is abusing me. Understand this. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate things. Okay? It's not the same thing. You can still forgive to be freed from what that's doing inside of you and still not pursue or reconcile that relationship based on what the extremity of what's taking place in your relationship. In fact, there have been times where we have actually counseled people in Christian love and counseling to separate and say it's good to separate for a couple days, for a couple weeks, in order to work on some major dysfunction that's taking place in the hopes that reconciliation will eventually happen. Secondly, make sure you're not putting yourself in harm's way. If you're putting yourself in harm's way, you need to get out. You need to, and we have people that want to walk alongside this journey with you. Understand this, you are not alone. We have pastors, we have licensed counselors that want to help. Okay. So how do I stay in love while being married? First, build a foundation centered on Christ. Second, establish boundaries to protect the marriage. Third, is to seek and ask for forgiveness. And fourth, is continue to build life and love into your marriage. 
Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's about giving 100%, 100%. It's not 50-50. It's like I'm all in 100%. Ephesians 5.33 says, so again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's warm. Okay. Mmm. It's hot. Just burn my tongue. Mm. Um, and so again, a man needs, here's what you need to know. Guys, if you love your wife, if you cherish your wife, if you pour into your wife, do you understand how she will bloom? Do you understand how she will become who God has intended her to become because of how God is going to use you in her life? It's amazing. Ladies, do you notice that it doesn't say, love your husband? It says, respect your husband. Because do you realize that more often than not, a guy's primary way of receiving love is respect. And so respect is, how do you champion him? Do you realize a guy feels so excited about the day, so ready to take that next charge, that next hill, when he's got a spouse behind him saying, I believe in you. I am for you. And when you make mistakes, I'm going to be there with you. In public, I'm going to speak well of you. I'm going to be positive toward you. It just makes a guy walk around, you know, just like, yeah, I can conquer this. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Now, I'm going to give you some very, very practical things that you can do to love and respect each other that'll build in your marriage. Here's what I can promise. If you do some of these things, it will make a difference in your marriage, okay? How's that for a dramatic pause? So first, pray with and for each other daily. Pray with and for each other. They've done all the studies, and those, those marriages that pray together stay together, and they thrive. And so I know, it's, isn't it funny that we can do so many things in life, and even in my own marriage, it feels funny at times to try to pray with my spouse. Why does it feel funny? Don't you understand there's powers at work? And the, and the enemy knows that if you do this in your marriage, it's going to strengthen what Christ is doing. And so he wants nothing more than to tear that down. And so work at that. Ladies, don't get frustrated if your husband is not doing this in your marriage. Be the one to start this in your marriage. It doesn't mean you're taking leadership or headship or whatever you think about all that. What it means is you're supporting and coming alongside and saying, hey, do you want to pray with me? That'd be great. Now, if you've got a spouse that isn't, you know, interested at all in this, then just pray for them, you know, on a regular basis. Secondly, kiss for six seconds daily. They've actually done studies, you know, have shown that a long kiss instead of a quick one, you know, the ones on the, on the cheek and that kind of stuff, like, see you later, honey, love ya, you know, that kind of thing as you come home or as you start the day, it does something inside of you that doesn't normally happen. It's absolutely amazing. So we're going to practice right now. Ready? Go. <laughs> Just kidding. But I did put this to the test these last couple of weeks, you know, and I was like, I was like, let's try this. So I, I kissed Carolina and she's like, trying to pull away. I'm like, we're not done yet. You know, so I kissed six seconds. She, I pulled away. And I'm like, I got to go away. She's like, I like this. And I was like, so do I now, you know? So six seconds is amazing. Every day, six seconds. Just try it. See what happens. Okay. Number three, have a regular date that focuses on one another's love languages. Regular date. I think I mentioned this before, 
But my wife and I, depending on the stage that you're in, have found the perfect date for us. Uh, we do a lunch date every week. Based on our stage of our kids, you know, is that, is that we're both awake. We're not doing movies, that kind of stuff. We meet now on Thursdays at lunch for an hour and a half. And it is wonderful to be able to engage and connect and both of us just be able not to think about the kids or anything else and be able to come together. You know what works for your schedule. But I just, I can tell you, it makes a huge, huge difference. We noticed the difference when it was eight weeks through the adoption process that we didn't have this with each other. And man, what a difference it makes. And so I would really, really strongly encourage you along those lines. Now, when I said love languages, uh, most of us have primary and secondary love language. You don't know what I'm talking about. There's a book called Love Language by Gary Chapman. You know, and what you read in there, or if you don't know what yours are, is to take a, take a test online. It takes about two minutes to try to discover one of your five love languages. What he says is that all of us have these five primary love languages. Some are higher than others, but all of us need all five. And that is quality time, touch, acts of service, gifts, and words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. We all need them at, at all. But here's what we need to know. Do you know your primary one or two? Do you know what your spouse's is? The reason that's important is because more often than not, we give to our spouse what we would like to receive. And more often than not, what we give is not what they want more often than not. And so we're a little confused. Like, let me give you an example early in our marriage. My wife loves notes. She loves words of affirmation. So she would write me notes all the time. She would write notes to me at the end of the day, notepads, a note, a little sticky notes. She would even write it on napkins, put it in my lunch after I made my lunch. More often than not, I didn't even read half of them. Now, before you yell at me and think I'm a big jerk, it's because it never hit me. Words of affirmation never hit me. And she would look at me and she goes, don't you appreciate my notes? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and what I would do is I would go around the house when she was gone and I'd be like, I don't normally like to do this, but I'm gonna vacuum and I'm gonna clean and I'm gonna do those things. So when she comes home from school or work, you know, at the time, she'd be like, man, I feel so loved. She'd walk in and she'd sit down. I'm like, huh, you see what I did here? And she's like, yeah, thanks. I'm like, what's up with that, you know? And she looks at me, she goes, well, why don't you just write me a note every once in a while? And I'm like, and so we did this back and forth, not realizing we were giving what the other person wanted. I wanted acts of service. I wanted a ministry partner. She wanted a note. In fact, it does not matter to this day whether I take her to Hawaii, whether I, I give her this amazing, you know, uh, gifts, you know, whether I do all these other things, if I don't give her a card on her birthday, Mother's Day, and anniversary, I am in the doghouse. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We're going to Hawaii. She's like, where's my card? I'm like, what? You know, but that is her way versus what's mine as well. And so we tend to do that with one another. And it changes when we get older, different stages. For her, now it is acts of service. It's less, now she appreciates words. I don't, not appreciates words. For mine, it's changed from acts of service to gifts. Now, I had to remind her, a gift doesn't mean when she came home one day with the new toilet scrubber and said, hey, here's your gift. Didn't really hit the mark, you know? Uh, and so we had to walk kind of through that together. Uh, the reason I say this is because on your dates, try to meet each other's love languages. Get creative with some of the dates that you do with each other and say, you know, we're not just gonna do the same old, same old. Try to think, hmm, this is how they're wired. Here's what you need to know. When you're loving someone else, 
that's different than the way you want to be loved, it feels awkward. It feels awkward. You, it doesn't come natural, so you actually have to go the extra mile. It has to be intentional. Okay? That is weekly. Now, next, have special occasions, outings, and overnighters. Monthly or bi-monthly. Okay? Monthly or bi-monthly. Okay, if there's 12 months, do you realize that six of them are already built into your calendar? They already are. Ready? Anniversary. Do something special. Your birthday. Their birthday. Valentine's Day. Yep, thank you, U.S. government, for instituting something for us guys to be able to be reminded that we need to love our spouses. Mother's Day and Father's Day. Now, for some of you might say, well, I don't have kids. I don't care. Turn it into Women's Day and Man's Day. Just circle it. Put it on the calendar. You have six dates, and it is worth 100 bucks to go away for the night just to focus on each other. But it's not going to happen by itself. You have to plan it. You actually have to put it on the calendar. Now, some of you may be more spontaneous. And if it's working for you, great. I just know life gets busy for me, and it doesn't work unless I put it down there. Lastly, attend a marriage conference, retreat, or seminar. And I would say yearly. Yearly. That you do something. I've already given you some books. You know, whether it be Five Love Language, another great book is Love and Respect, that you would go through as, as a couple. Or maybe it's a conference. Uh, every fall, we try to encourage our people to go to something called Weekend to Remember, usually located at the Coeur d'Alene Resort. Uh, this year, next month, we actually put together a one-day marriage conference for you. To make it cheap, it's, it's called Maturing in Your Marriage. It's March 3rd, 9 to 4.30. It's only $55 per couple, and that includes a meal per couple, not individual. And then there's a little extra charge if you're bringing kids, if that's an issue, you know, that we can help provide as well. You can sign up in the lobby even today to say, we're going to do this. We want to invest in our marriage. So as we wrap up, what is the next step that God is calling you to continue to build and love your spouse? See, we've looked at building a solid foundation. We've looked at this idea of what it means to forgive and to be forgiven. We've looked at this idea of boundaries, and now we've looked at specific tangible ways to build and strengthen our marriage. And so as we close with this, I just want to continue to remind you, what is it that is your next step? For some of you, you got to go back to the beginning. What is your marriage built on? Is it on a foundation that lasts? God's the one that instituted and created marriage. He knows what's best for you and for me with Jesus at the center. What's that next step for you? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for today. I pray that you would just continue to guide our hearts and our minds. I pray that you will just uh, allow us just to know what it is that you would want us to do when it comes to that next step, to loving the one that you have given to us. And Father, I pray for all those in this room who are struggling, who are going through some difficult times. It's not easy to be married. And I pray, Father, that you just give us the perseverance and the strength that can only be found in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.